the argument is not that uh, Christians uh, who are of a Reformed persuasion um, you know, don't realize that uh, people who are born again uh, are uh, certainly capable of sinning. Um, you know, we, we just cannot deny that. We can't deny it from knowing ourselves pretty well uh, to also uh, have the biblical examples. Um, and we often and most often turn then to David and Peter as, as those examples of people who grievously sinned against the Lord. Um, but the doctrine of uh, sovereign election uh, is uh, such that it gives you, the believer, the wonderful assurance that God's righteousness has been given to you. His righteousness always catches you. Um, on my way back from the airport yesterday, um, I was listening to a, a gospel group, uh, Crowns of Thorns. Is that the? Yeah, it's a it's a music group. Uh, I forget the title of them, but um, I heard that line. I thought, hey, that dovetails with this message. Uh, this uh, this this person is saying, you know, yes, I sin, and I deserve hell. You know, just because I'm a believer, you know, I'm no better than anybody else, and my sin make me worthy of hell. But it is Christ's righteousness that catches me every time. That's not to make it sound like, you know, okay, you've got a nice network there and uh, like a net that, that catches you, and you can take that for granted. But ultimately, where is the anchor point of my sense of assurance? It's not in me, not in my level of holiness. It is in his righteousness for me. That's where all discussion ends. Um, but we are called by this God who saves his people perfectly, who preserves our lives and renews our lives. He calls us to obedience. He certainly does. Uh, believers sin and fall, but the righteousness of Christ catches us every time, I wrote. The first article, six, can be described as saying this, God will not permit the destruction of our salvation. Why is that? Well, the answer starts where it needs to start, but God, who is rich in mercy, according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not wholly withdraw the Holy Spirit from his own people, even in their grievous falls. So it is always God's mercy. In the final analysis, um, at the end of the day, as we say, it is God's mercy that explains. And part of that mercy is expressed in God being unchangeable, unchanging in his nature and in his actions in his decrees, in his purpose, in his plan. He doesn't change. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God does not do a half work. It is by his grace that he saves us. It is by his grace that he sustains you because you are his elect. You are his chosen we don't use that word often. Chaim um, Potok, 
the chosen. Um, you know, God chooses a people. He set Noah as Noah aside. You know, and then his family members joined him in that rescue, where all these people that helped build the ark, you know, all the all the carpenters, and all the engineers. And all the others who were laughing and screaming and yelling and ridiculing, they all perished because God chose to save one man and his family. It's his mercy. You can't explain it. You can't rationalize it. Um, but it is his mercy that due to his unchangeable purpose of election, he does not wholly withdraw the Holy Spirit from his own people even in their grievous falls, nor suffers them to proceed so far as to lose the grace of adoption and forfeit the state of justification or to commit the sin unto death or against the Holy Spirit. One of these issues that uh, in pastoral ministry do come up from time to time is when we meet folks who are um, burdened by the by the question if they have sinned against the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know if you know persons like that, maybe in your own life there were times where you said, I hope I did not sin against the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, that's a question that is real and, uh, and ought to be uh, taken seriously by pastors and, and counselors, uh, fellow believers. Um, the typical response that we have given to brothers and sisters who are known to be confessors of Christ, who at some point in their lives come with this burden to the pastor, shall we say, that the fact that you are burdened is an indication that you have not sinned against the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you recognize this argument, but that has been a fairly mainstream argument in the conservative reformed tradition that you know you you should take great comfort from the fact that the Lord has not withdrawn his Holy Spirit so far from you that if he did then there you wouldn't have any qualms left about having disobeyed the Lord so the fact that you are that you have because in a way, it is an expression of sorrow. I would say it's an expression of sorrow for your sins as a Christian man or woman that you have this burden that you have offended the Lord such that you might even have offended the Holy Spirit. And the sin against the Holy Spirit, for, there, for that there is no forgiveness. And that, that brings those pangs of conscience in you and you say, Lord, save me. Well, that response is an indication that you have not sinned against the Holy Spirit. Um, when we think about the Pharisees, let's just isolate that group and, and maybe make them, as it were, representative of all the others that were among the people in Jesus' ministry who also rejected him. But let's just say that that, that rejection of Christ by the Pharisees was, a, was an expression of unbelief. Um, and was, was that for each Pharisee then a case of sinning against the Holy Spirit? Um, we are not told that that is the conclusion that we should draw. But 
if unbelief is not repented of, then you do die in your unbelief. Um, so that subject of the question about sin against the Holy Spirit is, is um, um, yeah, a real one. But at the same time, if you are elect, I would say you do not sin against the Holy Spirit because the elect in Christ are saved forever. So that leads me to the subsequent conclusion that if a person like David uh, or like Peter or maybe you know people from modern history but, but people who are known to be believers who then sinned against the Lord grievously um, uh, that the true believer comes around and the true believer will repent because if the Holy Spirit is implanted in us then the Holy Spirit is the one with whom God himself has sealed the deal. No, the Holy Spirit is the one by whom God has sealed his approval of you so that you don't have to worry about, am I saved, am I not saved? Have I sinned against the Holy Spirit? Have I not sinned against the Holy Spirit? I am his own and I have sinned against him today and I come to him and I beg of his forgiveness. I also trust him for that forgiveness because his righteousness is mine and it is righteousness alone that I need and that I want. But my hope is in him alone and stays that way. Um, so we don't lose the grace of adoption. The remonstrance was saying that you know, a born-again person can lose their salvation. And then if that born-again person, um, you know, let's say, uh, lost their salvation by a choice of unbelief, then they can become born again again. <laughs> you know, it's kind of strange theology there that I wasn't even aware of, that they actually, in fact, taught that, uh, the followers of Ar Arminius. Um, but uh, it almost sounds like that is not a unique event in a person's life that happens once for all, like we believe, the Bible teaches. You know, when you're born again, then God made something new out of that which wasn't before, he made a, a new creation. And so a new creation doesn't perish in a New Testament sense because what is new is eternally new. When God comes to renew the earth in the return of the consummation, that is then no longer a world, a world that can fall again, lapse and fall away from the perfection that is ours then. The same thing is true for the Christian. When we're born again, we're born again forever. And we are on the way to glory, to the way of, uh, to, to, to the presence of the Lord forever. And that is because of what God decreed. And it is because of the love that fueled that decree. And that is the mercy that upholds his uh, promise to us that in Christ Jesus we are saved. And when sin does come about, we're called to repent and to be open and honest about that and to be frank and quick uh, rather than slow um, because, because that is the grievous part is um, not so much that when we sin and we don't repent of our sins that that makes us feel bad. You know, the psalmist, 32, Psalm David, uh, his bones were drying up and burning and you know, as long as he did not confess his sins and then he forget, you know, and you know the psalm, and then he rejoiced again in the goodness of the Lord, the forgiveness uh, full and free. Um, we ought to repent uh, quickly 
uh, to the Lord because we do grieve the Holy Spirit. Every, every born-again person, every elect person is capable of sinning. And so when we sin and we don't repent of it, that grieves our relationship, that, that uh, interrupts our relationship, uh, and it grieves the Holy Spirit so that we don't have that close association with him, that fellowship with him that we would have if we walked side by side him, as it were, in step, is the language that Paul uses, in step with the Spirit. So God will not permit the destruction of our salvation. He permits our sinning against him, but then in his goodness and mercy, he also brings the spirit of repentance upon us so that we repent and we are restored into fellowship with him. And that leads me to the second point, Article 7, uh, that God preserves and renews our relationship with him. Um, so God preserves and he renews our relationship with him. And that is because we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is uh, once for all. Just like when by faith we are justified. You know, you, you're not justified uh, every time you believe upon the forgiveness of your sins that you have assurance of your uh, forgiveness, God's forgiveness, uh, that you are justified every time you trust in Christ's forgiveness. Uh, when the sinner is trusting in Christ for the first time, when that is true faith, childlike trust and faith in the righteousness of Christ for me, then that becomes the defining moment uh, when the old is old and the new is new. Um, but the fact that we have been justified once for all doesn't mean that we then take sin lightly, but it means that when we subsequently sin, we trust in the righteousness of Christ and we continue to put our trust in Christ um, so that that salvation that is the Lord's in that way is being preserved and also renews our relationship with him. And uh, so these two are very closely related, of course, but the renewal of our relationship with him is simply by the fact that when we come to the Lord, like we do as a congregation on Sunday mornings, we do it in our own lives, we confess our sins to the Lord. We're honest about that. We're sincere about that. Um, and we then experience the marvelous forgiveness uh, that God freely bestows upon us. Um, article 7 again. For in the first place in these falls, he preserves in them the incorruptible seed of regeneration. Um, you know, the incorruptible, that, that, that's language from the Apostle Paul. Um, um, let's see I don't have a scripture text with that but I just want to read you a few verses that I selected uh, for you to listen to and, and take to heart uh, joyfully 1 John 5 18 we know that even uh, that everyone born of God does not continue to sin the one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. I see that as a very bold assurance that we cannot lose our salvation only because of his grace, not because we deserve it, but only because of his grace, we cannot lose our salvation because God says so. First Peter one twenty three, 
For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So that's supernatural. That's, that's not of this world, of this flesh order, but that is of the other side. And so it is indestructible. It is eternal. It is imperishable. And once we've gotten hold of that by our union with the Lord, um, yeah, then we have life. And that is a life that endures um, because of the word of God, Peter says. James 1.18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we, um, can't read my own writing here, we must be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So first fruits is a very technical term, very important term. And it, uh, and, and, um, it of course, comes from, from, from the realm of nature that we are familiar with, uh, first fruits of a harvest. It's the best, um, but in that context of the, the scripture's use of that, it is also like representative then of, 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 the, of the harvest itself and that it is a harvest that cannot be undone. It is secure, it is safe. Uh, God brings it in and we are that first fruit of all that he created, but also the best <laughs> because he's going to create a whole new world, right? A renew, uh, whole new heaven and earth and we are the first fruits in that. Um, gonna leave it at that. Um, there's a, uh, Hebrews 10 is, is maybe in light of what I said about the, the um, concern about sinning against the Holy Spirit. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice is left for sins, only judgment. Um, and that makes a reference to the rejection of Israel uh, because Israel, having come out of Egypt, having been externally saved, showed that they were not internally saved. Their hearts weren't circumcised. And so you have that whole generation of men and women who came out of Egypt who perished in the desert before they received their inheritance. Um, it's a reminder that God is showing grace to any and all who hear the good news. But if we don't combine the news with faith and faith issuing into obedience, because that is always the true result of true faith, there will be obedience. Uh, if that isn't there, then, you know, then there is no sacrifice left for us to have and to be done on our part, on our behalf. So there's certainly in that text a, a real warning uh, for us as Christians to realize that sin uh, must be taken seriously uh, in the life of the Christian so that we can celebrate that we have the new life in Christ and um, the renewal uh, that God gives us in our relationship with him on a day-to-day -day basis. Does anybody have a question? Yeah.